Nehemiah chapter 7. I like this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's challenging. It says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition, while infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Where are you going for your well of joy? What are you looking for for satisfaction? And could it be something far too less? We have infinite joy, lasting joy that is offered to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the the joy of salvation. The people are encouraged that the joy of the Lord is their strength. The wall is completed And as the wall is finished, now we see a rebuilding of the people. Spiritual revival takes place, and there is a hunger for God's word. As they get into God's word, they're aware of their sin. There's brokenness and mourning before the Lord. Then they're encouraged by their spiritual leaders, by Ezra and the gang, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. As you're mourning, it brings you to the forgiveness of God, and the forgiveness of God causes you to to rejoice uh, in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't necessarily say for me that joy of the Lord is my strength. I wouldn't say really that's my strong point is finding joy in the Lord. I think there's so much room for me to grow to really be a a person of joy and a person of of rejoicing. So let's look at the beginning of chapter 7. Then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. So the work of the wall is completed, the gates are finished, the doors are hung, and now Levites had been appointed. There's there's leaders that are being put in place. How good would it be if it was just a wall that was built? It's important for this security to be there, but they need godly leaders to be put in place. We need to be praying that God would, would raise up godly leaders in all sectors of society in schools, in government, in police work, and in churches. And there would be servant leaders that would serve our communities, Christ-centered. Verse 2, And then I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Nehemiah was never looking to establish himself as a leader or to become a king or or a governor. He simply wanted to see the wall built, to see the people of God be built up, and then move on. So he hands off leadership to his brother to be in charge of Jerusalem, and it's said of his brother that he's a faithful man and that he feared God. That's quite a resume. That sums it up. If we could be faithful by God's grace and and walk in the fear and the respect of, of the Lord. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they stand guard, let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his house. So they weren't to open the gates until the sun was up, the sun was hot because of the risk, because of the enemies that were coming against uh, Jerusalem. Also, they were to keep watch and they set up guard in front of their own house. You've got some 
invested interest to be on watch around your own house. You're probably more watchful at your house than in other parts of the city because your loved ones are there. I remember when Hannah, our oldest, was born and we were living in our our little house in kind of a rough uh, area of town and Amber would wake up to feed Hannah and I'd wake up too and I'd be looking out the windows. I wanted to make sure that no one was out there to mess with my wife and my my little daughter. And I was was always on watch and on alert because I wanted to protect my family. And spiritually, we want to be in that place. We want to be on watch for our families. Realize that the enemy is attacking and be in prayer for our our families. Very, very important. Verse 4, now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people that they may be registered by genealogy. I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. So there's not a problem for space. There's lots of space. The city's large. There is the wall around the city. The temple's rebuilt. But the problem is, is they need people to live in Jerusalem now. They'd been taken captive, spent time in captivity, have the opportunity to return from captivity, but some had gotten comfortable in captivity. 70 years is a long time. You're talking generations. Those that are born in captivity, they don't know what it's like to live in Jerusalem. They don't know what it's like to live in the promised land. They've got homes and established in schools and and businesses. So it took a step of faith to want to come back and live in Jerusalem. This reminds me of the fact that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's not a problem with the invitation into God's kingdom, amen? There's room in God's kingdom because of God's grace to forgive sin. But God needs laborers to go out into the field. He needs us to to go out and to reach out to those that don't know Christ as as their Savior. In verse 6, these are the people of the providence who had come back from captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and who'd returned to Jerusalem and to to Judah, everyone to his own city. And the rest of the chapter is God listing by name those that had come back from captivity. Now, why would God do this? Why does God record the people that came back? Because God notices when people have a heart for him. God noticed those Israelites that said, we want to live in Jerusalem. We want to get back to the promised land. We want to get back to what God has has given to us. And the Lord sees your service. He sees your love. He sees your, your faithfulness. We're encouraged by Jesus that a cup of cold water brought to a child and is in his name. He sees and rewards openly. So Take a look at those names and see how the Lord was faithful to to remember. Verse 8, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. You know, it's been such an interesting time because COVID brought about extreme isolation and quarantine, but yet we've seen more mass public gatherings than any time that I can remember in the past. And primarily, those 
big mass public gatherings have been over division because we're upset, because we're angry for one reason or another. So you've got people coming together to express the fact that they're angry, that they're divided, that something's not right. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to peacefully protest. I'm just saying it's interesting by the fact that we've had tremendous isolation, but we've also had tremendous mass gatherings, usually for the purpose of I'm unhappy for one reason or another. Why is this group gathered together? They came as one man in the square. The people of God are gathering together in unity. Wouldn't it be wonderful for the people of God to get together under the banner of I believe in Jesus? Under the the banner of not this is what I'm against, but this is what I'm for. (laughs) I'm for Christ. I'm a a follower of him. And and we're gathered together as, as God's people. What's so pivotal is that they request the word of God. As they're gathered in the square, the wall's been rebuilt. They want God to rebuild their lives. They say, we need the word of God. No big rally of people without the word of God is going to bring lasting fruit. Thousands of people could come together with big bands and lots of hype, but if there isn't the word of God, there isn't going to be lasting change. If we want to see transformation in our lives, gather around the Word of God. Amazing things happen when we spend time in the Word of God. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up going to church, Sunday school, youth group. I went to a Christian school. I had a lot of access to the Word of God. But my heart was hard towards Christ, towards His, his Word, towards church. And when I was a freshman in high school, There was a deep emptiness in my life, and I cried out to God, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And he loves that prayer, doesn't he? And he was gracious to reveal himself to me and speak to my heart. Romans 5.8. I didn't know it was Romans 5.8. Eric, while you've wanted nothing to do with me, I've wanted everything to do with you. And I found a strange thing happen in my heart as I wanted to spend time in God's word. I wanted to get to know this great love that God had for me. And I woke up the next morning and I started reading the book of Matthew. Not because someone told me to or it was a class assignment or it was expected of me because I went to church. But I wanted to know this amazing love, this unconditional love. Well, I had such a hard heart that God could love me. And it was through the word of God that my life started to change. Just, just spending time reading in, in God's word. God quickly put on my heart to start serving, so I started serving in children's ministry at, at our church. It's back in the day that if you served in children's ministry, you would get a cassette tape of the sermon. <laughs> so I would serve on Wednesday nights, was the through the Bible study, and they would burn those tapes after service. So you'd wait, you know, 15 minutes, a half hour, sometimes 45 minutes to to get your cassette tape and get home pretty late after church, after waiting for my cassette tape. And then I'd put in my cassette tape because I wanted to hear the word of God be taught. Man, and we've got it so good now, don't we? We've got apps and all these things and access to the word and, and to teachings. But, but God lit a fire inside of me for the word of God. 
And we need to pray for that in our lives this evening. It may be a while since we've had that kind of hunger for God's word. We had that hunger at one point in our lives, but, but we don't currently, or, or we've never had that kind of hunger for God's word. It, it's felt overwhelming or, or confusing, or we've dabbled with it here and there, but out of a response to God's love to say, God, I want to know you. And that's why God's word is so important is because it reveals who God is to us. It's very difficult to know God without spending time in his word. That's where you're gonna understand who the Lord is. And I say this in love, 40 minutes on a weekend of us reading a chapter or half a chapter together is not enough. I love what we do here. I love spending time in God's word together. But hopefully this is just a catalyst. This just wets your whistle to say, I wanna read, I wanna study, I wanna spend more time in God's word. We have the promise of God in Isaiah 55 about his word. It says, for as rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So my word shall be, so my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it accomplishes what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word's not gonna return void. Just like the rain brings forth fruit, God's word's gonna bring forth fruit. Sometimes we don't feel it, sometimes we don't see it, sometimes we don't think that the word of God is bringing forth fruit in our lives, but God's promise is it's not gonna return void. We do live in a dark time spiritually, but there is great hope because Christ is risen and the word of God is alive and active. And if we want revival in our hearts, it's gotta be here. It's gotta be in the word of God. If there ever was a time to say, I'm going to invest time here in God's word, it's now. Don't believe the lie that you can't understand it. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Pray before you start reading. Suggestion to you, if you're new to the scriptures, please do not start with Leviticus. <laughs> I would start with the Gospel of Mark. You might be saying, it's really confusing to me that there's so many different books of the Bible. The Bible is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is prior to when Christ came. The New Testament begins with the, the birth of Christ. In the front of your Bible, you'll have a table of contents with the books of the Bible. Look for the book of Mark, page number, go there and start reading. If you don't own a Bible, we've got Bibles at the door to be able to, to give to you to begin to read. But it's the word of God. It's when the people of God cry out for the word of God that there's spiritual revival, that there's transformation that happens. We go on into verse two of chapter eight. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who would hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So Ezra the priest, he brings the law because they requested the law men and women, and all who would hear and understand. They each didn't have a copy of God's word. At this time, what was written is the first five books of the Old Testament. 
the Torah, the books of Moses, and there would be a few copies that the priests would have. So Ezra, the priest, Ezra, who is used to rebuild the temple, he's got the copy of God's word. In order for them to hear God's word, they have to come out to this public hearing. We've got it so good, don't we? We've got incredible access to uh, the word of God. Those who gathered were the ones who could hear and understand. We've used this uh, as we think about how we minister to people at Rocky Mountain Calvary, is kids are welcome in our service. I want you to know that you can always bring your kids into the sanctuary if, if you would like. But one of the reasons that we provide children's ministry is we want kids to be able to hear and understand. I, I know this may be shocking, but seven-year-olds don't always appreciate my teaching, right? It's a little long, it's a little boring. It's Charlie Brown, wah, 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 wah. So, so we, we believe that God's word can be taught to seven-year-olds in a relevant way where they can hear and, and understand. So those that were, were coming could hear and understand. We want children to have the opportunity to come and hear and understand. If you've been blessed by children's ministry, if your kids have been blessed by children's ministry, would you encourage them tonight? Would you say thank you so much for teaching them God's word and giving me the opportunity to, to sit and, and hear God's word without the distraction of my child? <laughs> you know, we saw how much you value children's ministry through 2020. When there was no children's ministry, there was really no Rocky Mountain Calvary. You all stayed home, right? When we were able to open up children's ministry again, you all came back, which was great. In verse three, then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. So the sun comes up, they start hearing God's word, and they're listening to God's word until noon, till midday, before the men and the women and those who could understand in the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So you've got multitude listening, and, and they're just attentive. They want to hear what, what God's word has to say. So Ezra the scribe stood on the platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Matani, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, and the yes, rest of Ayahs. There's a lot of Ayahs there listed for us. The reason that Ezra's on a platform so people could hear, this is before amplification, so people could see. And then there's a group of men, 13 priests that are gathered with Ezra. Ezra's not alone. This is a, a group of, of spiritual leaders. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people, and when he opened it, all of the people stood up. So out of reverence for God's word, when God's word was opened, they, they stood up. There, there was this anticipation that, man, something special is happening. Something, something sacred is, is happening. I think we've lost this a little bit in our, in our culture. When we go to spend time in God's word personally, we can forget, man, we're, we're opening up the word of God. <laughs> this is different than any other book. This, this is truth. This is God's message to me. This is revealing who God is. I, I can't add or subtract to God's word. God is to be revered, so, so his word is to be revered. When we come and spend time together as, as a church family, like, oh, this is a special time. In generations past, there were those that would prepare Saturday night in anticipation of going to church Sunday morning. 
Elizabeth Elliot writes about the excitement that she would have Saturday evening to just know on Sunday morning that she was going to be with God's people and she was going to open up God's word and worship together in spirit and in truth. And she'd say, man, I want to make sure I get to bed on time on Saturday night because I want to be ready for Sunday morning. There's times in our church where I can feel your excitement for God's word. I can feel your heart saying, let's worship and let's open God's word uh, together. And that's an incredible time when we as God's people can agree that, man, God's word is wonderful and God's ready to speak to us through his word. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered and said, amen, amen. They're, They're in agreement. With lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. <clears throat> What's up with lifting of hands? Why, why would the, the people lift their hands at this moment when Ezra is saying that the Lord is great? Lifting hands to God shows worship, it shows adoration, it shows surrender and dependence uh, upon the Lord. And you may or may not be familiar with that. You may look around and go, man, it's kind of weird that people are lifting up their hands in, in worship. It's got to be God-led if God, God leads you to do so. But I do think that it's wonderful when our body lands up with the position of our heart, lines up with the position of our heart. So if my heart's feeling adoration, if my, my heart's feeling surrender, my heart's feeling dependence upon the Lord, man, I want to lift my hands uh, to the Lord. But also, they're bowing their heads and they're worshiping the Lord with their faces to the ground. Worship has the idea of turning toward and, and bowing. It's understanding how great God is and it's acknowledging our sin and humility before the Lord. Also, Jeshua, Benaniah, and a list of, of names listed there for us, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. It seems to me that then people had questions, and these group of priests and spiritual leaders were going around and answering questions. And this is a really important part of learning, is we got to be able to ask questions. I hope that you have an avenue to be able to ask questions. Either a small group, men's or women's ministry, or or a connect group. Remember, as a pastoral staff, we're here to serve you during the week. The church office is open Tuesday through Friday. Pastors are available here in the front and in the foyer. You may know someone who's walked with the Lord a little bit longer. The disciples learned so much because they asked questions. And to to be able to to ask those questions, hey, I was reading this and I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense uh, to me. A great resource that I really enjoy using is gotquestions.org. If you've never checked that out, but they have a ton of answered questions straight from scripture. So if, if you're looking for a resource, I would highly recommend that as well. Verse 8, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave sense of it and helped them to understand the reading. So this is not complicated. Ezra's reading, then he's explaining, making sense of, of what they're reading. They believe in the power of the word of God, that God's word is able to speak for itself, 
and all they have to do is explain it. And this is really a model for us at, at RMC. This is what we desire to do in all the different ministries is to simply open up the word of God and explain it. Hopefully when you leave our time together, when your youth leave junior high and high school and your kids leave children's ministry, they're studying the book of Nehemiah tonight. They're building a wall. Pastor Doug's got a hundred cardboard boxes that he's been collecting, so you might want to go down and check that out. Yeah, ask them what they think of the, of the book of Nehemiah, but as a church family, when we leave, hopefully it makes sense. Hopefully we know this is what we read, this was explained to us, and it makes sense uh, to us because there is power in the word of God. And as we simply let God's word be spoken and explained, then it changes our lives. In verse 9, in Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So they're hearing God's law being read. They're coming to understand in a greater way why they were taken captivity because of their disobedience to God, because of their idolatry. And the weight of their sin comes over them and they just begin to weep over their sin. As you read the law, the law does that. <laughs> the law convicts us of our sin. And Galatians tells us that that's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to be our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. Without the law, it would be really easy for us to say, well, why do I need Jesus to die for my sins? Why doesn't God just give me a set of rules? I think I can keep them. And then when we read those 613 laws, and God goes, let me give you the simple version, let me give you 10 commandments, I go, man, I'm guilty before a holy God. I, I need a savior. And so the law is that purpose to bring us to Christ. In verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those from whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not sorrow. Here it is. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is not really the response that you would anticipate from Ezra, Nehemiah, and the other spiritual leaders are saying, wait guys, this is not the time for you to be sorrowful. This is the time for you to press into the joy of the Lord. Your sins are forgiven. God has restored you. He's brought you, you back into the, the land. And the joy of the Lord is to actually be your strength. There is a time and a place for mourning over sin. But there's also a time and a place to then receive the forgiveness of God and to be comforted. Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. It's important for the children of Israel to, to know that God has forgiven them, that God has a future for them and, and God has a hope for them and to really find joy in the goodness of God and allow their relationship with God, that joy to be their, their strength. How about for us? Are we in a place of mourning where the Lord would like to bring us into a place of rejoicing? And maybe God's message to us tonight is to say, all right, you've mourned, you've confessed sin, you've grieved over this for, for long enough. 
Now it's time for you to take joy in the Lord. If we're not careful, we sometimes can make an idol out of our failure. And man, just woe is me. I'm the worst sinner on the planet. And I just, uh, man, I just keep doing this. And I'm just, yeah, I'm a dirt clod. That, that's me. And before you know it, we're talking more about our sin than what Jesus has done for us. Anybody that has a conversation with us goes, I get it. I get it. You know, they're, they're really bummed out about their sin. And the father might be up there going, hey, don't you know that you're forgiven? Don't you know that I died for your sin? Sent my son to die for your sin and, and you're forgiven. It's time to lay hold of, of that forgiveness. Now, there's a real time and season for grief. Sometimes we don't grieve when we should. And we just try to rush through pain. But there's also a moment in time where we receive comfort from the Lord and go, man, this is really difficult and this circumstance is not going away, but, but I've received the comfort of, of the, the Father. Let me ask you a question. What's the unfolding message of the Bible? What's the Bible all about? Could we sum up the Bible in one sentence? Absolutely. God is love. That sums up the message of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So as we receive the message of God, it absolutely reveals our sin. It absolutely brings us to a place of mourning and brokenness of, man, I am guilty before a holy God, but please don't stop there. Because then the message of God is, well, the Father sent his Son to pay the price for your sin. And as you believe in Christ and his death and resurrection, inviting Christ to be the Lord of your life, you're saved. You're saved. So act like it. You're saved. If the gospel is the unfolding message of the Bible, then the message of the Bible is one of joy. The message of the Bible is one of, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm going home to be with the Lord. I have eternal security in this gift that Christ has given to me, so I get to take joy in my relationship with the Lord. Now, I gotta confess to you, that is easy to preach and hard to live. Pretty easy to throw out there in, in five minutes, but it's easy for me to be on the roller coaster of life, the, the ups and downs of, of life and my, my own emotion, and to find joy in other things instead of my joy in the relationship with, with the Lord. But God is offering this. Jesus says, if, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow living water. It's, it's, the, it's the overflow that happens where God pours joy into our hearts to where it just begins to overflow. And then Jesus said that he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. The living water was the Holy Spirit where God would pour his Holy Spirit into our lives. Are we thirsty? Yes. But are we coming to Christ and are we drinking of the Holy Spirit to where we could overflow with the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Verse 11. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And the people went their way to eat and drink 
and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words declared to them. I love this. They're like, okay, we're supposed to rejoice. We're supposed to have a feast. Let's do it. God's forgiven us. That was important for us to mourn, but now it's important for us to know that it's, that we're forgiven. They respond to the message that was given to them. So that's all on the first day. And this is the second day. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers of the house of Israel with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the word of the law. They came back for more. They wanted to know more of God's word. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, saying, go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle trees, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in the courtyards or in the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. Reading God's word, God's word says, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. It's time to do that. So what do they do? They go celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles was one week where they would camp out remembering God's faithfulness to them in the wilderness. They're getting to do this back in the promised land. How cool. And share with their kids, look, God was faithful. He was even faithful over our sin and over our shortcomings. This will change the way that you spend time in the scriptures. This will change the way that I spend time in the scriptures if I read it with intention to do it. To do it. Say, Lord, would you show me one thing today that I can do, that I can put into practice? James challenges us, don't, don't just be hearers of the word, but be, be doers of the word. As they're coming to hear God's word be taught, they came with their shoes on. They came with the intention of saying, I want to put this into to practice. I think that sometimes that's why studying God's word can get mundane, is we really don't intend to do anything with it. But if we have the attitude of saying, Lord, I want to apply your word, it becomes really powerful. In verse 17, so the whole assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until the day that the ch- of Israel had not done so, and there was very great gladness. So generations of not celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, it hadn't been since the time of Joshua. As they walked in God's word, there was tremendous gladness. Haven't you found that to be true? Abundant life found in walking in God's truth. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Tonight, we have the opportunity to come and celebrate communion. To go through this process of allowing there to be some mourning, allow there to be some confessing of sin and brokenness before God. God, I'm grieved over this area of sin in my life. But then to not stop there, 
and remember that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was, was shed for us. In the Psalms, it tells us that God's the lifter of our heads. And as you take communion, your head is lifted. It's lifted in forgiveness. I'm forgiven by the Lord. It's lifted in anticipation. Jesus, I'm looking for you to return. And allow God to lift your head to the sacrifice of of his son, to know that you know that you're loved and to know that you know that you're, you're forgiven and allow that joy then to be your strength. How do you think Peter felt to encounter the resurrected Savior and know that his sins were forgiven after denying the Lord? He had to feel so good. The joy that came over him and for the rest of his life, man, I am forgiven by the Lord. May we know the height and the depth and the width of his love for us this evening that would impact us in such a way that we're a joyful people. We're drinking from that well of salvation. That God would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. The enemy loves to cause us to live in condemnation and cause us to live in chains where we know that we're forgiven up here, but we don't believe it in our hearts. We know that we're loved by God here, but we don't believe it in our hearts. And may God plant his love deep in our hearts tonight through communion where we go away tonight rejoicing and we wake up tomorrow morning rejoicing and the joy of the Lord is our strength. So let's stand together and let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion. Holy Spirit, would you take these truths that we've read and plant them deep within our hearts and may they bear fruit? May we know that we're loved by you, that you died for our sins and rose again, that our sins are completely forgiven, that we're justified, declared righteous, and that you would lift off of us the condemnation. You would lift off of us the the chains from our sin and our shortcomings. And we would leave tonight with our heads lifted, knowing that we're loved and knowing that we're, we're forgiven. And God, would you put inside of us a deeper love for your word, a hunger for your word, and an ability to understand it. So would you minister to us during this time of communion in Jesus' name, amen.